You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And yes, this is your respite from the twilight zone, as grim and depressing as it might sound sometimes, but I'd rather be grim and depressing and not utopian with groupthink because it takes the proper identification of the problem in order to come to a solution. Welcome back. This is the Conservative Conscience. Daniel Horowitz here at Conservative Review, powered by Blaze Media Network. And thank God I got one piece of good news for you guys today. Amazing news. It is Friday, December 14th, which means it will be the weekend soon. And gosh, you know, can't aren't we worthy of, of God's divine intervention to do what he did for Moses and Joshua and just hold the sun in place where we could just have a weekend forever and never turn into Monday because I am truly scared of what Monday will bring. I don't know how to sugarcoat this guys. I don't know where this show is going to take me today and I'm just going to speak from the heart. I didn't prepare anything to say because I've been working, as you see, I have like two 2,000-word pieces I just put out telling the truth about the opioid crisis, the drug trafficking crisis, what it is and what it isn't from the healthcare angle, from the drug trafficking angle, from the immigration border angle. Everything we've been saying, I kind of put in two articles that you could share, and I need you to share them with everyone you know. These two articles are among the most important articles I've written recently. And the thing is, like it says throughout the entire theme of Ecclesiastes and to a certain extent in Proverbs, but towards the end of Ecclesiastes, I'm forgetting the chapter, when you acquire knowledge, you acquire anger. But I'll tell you, I'm not even that angry. I'm just very sorrowful. I'm, I'm just very sad. I'm just genuinely very sad about the state of being, of a lack of movement, a lack of truth. When you spend all week like I do, which almost nobody in this field does, where I pour through medical journals to get all this data, I spoke with more DA agents in Nebraska. I'm gonna, some of it's going to be an on-the-record interview. I'll post in an article on Monday. That the entirety of everyone they are prosecuting for drug charges that is flooding these areas with all sorts of drugs are working directly for the Mexican drug cartels. 72,000 people killed. And yet, pain patients are being harmed while drug traffickers will be released in the bill on Monday and Tuesday. It's pretty much over. It was everything I warned about. But knowledge doesn't matter because this is not about knowledge. As I told you guys, whenever you see a lopsided vote in Congress, it doesn't necessarily mean most of them agree with it. I can't tell you how many people I text. 
I'll text with members and they're like, yeah, Daniel, this is stupid. And then a minute later, they'll, they'll vote for it. Well, yeah, I'm not, you know, because they, they view, the way they view things in Washington is this. Everyone says, I'm going to change the swamp. I'm going to fight it. Yeah, elect me all the platitudes. But the reality is the swamp is the swamp for a reason. And let me start today with the theme of the day, and I'm going to tie it in endlessly throughout the day. And that is one of the few people holding strong on this issue of jailbreak. And again, each per each issue, it's a different one or two people, but never the same in one group. So we can never stop a single issue, never be righteous on a single issue. We get the lowest common denominator of everyone's flaws, not the greatest common factor of their strengths. But he said, sometimes you got to be alone. I'm not saying it's necessarily the case here. He said that sarcastically. But sometimes the majority just means the fools are on the same side. Kennedy, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, he's kind of a funny guy, um, speaks from the heart. So I appreciate a guy like that, just like me. The majority just means the fools are on the same side. But the problem is once all the fools are on the same side, the Cokes and the Soroses, the Republicans and the Democrats, it's we the people that are left out in the cold. But it doesn't mean what we're saying is wrong. Let me say this. I am very proud of the work we've done pretty much the last four years combating this bill, the series of bills, this movement, exposing the lies. And at the very end, they had to water it down. And at the very end, they could only win because they control every lever of power and money behind this. And we couldn't get this out to the people enough to even focus on it. They don't listen to law enforcement. They don't listen to prosecutors. They don't listen to victims of crime. They don't give a darn about them. And even then, they could only win by lying and saying that everything that they want to do that is the reason they have the bill, and in their mind that's a very modest first step, is really not in the bill. We're just reforming some prisons here. We're not releasing anyone. Even though openly they say we have too many people in prison, they could not win on that message. Let me just stop beating around the bush for a moment, just give you a straight-up update. It's over. Um, basically, it's a fait accompli. We're not even going to benefit from having a Christmas fight, protracted floor debate. You know, all these bills, they'll sometimes lay out on the Senate floor for three weeks. This thing, Monday night's cloture vote, Tuesday, they're allowing Cotton to have and Kennedy to have two amendments, which are kind of just cutting around the edges. I'll explain that in a minute. And that's it. Just like that. Two years, two years of full trifecta control and not a single piece of immigration enforcement. Any of the 25 ideas that we've had have been pushed by the conservative movement the way these phony conservatives are pushing letting out the drug traffickers that are the very result of the border problems, as we explained in these two articles. And yet, when it comes to this, within a day, they will undo Reagan's legacies on crime. That is the nature of the broken movement we have, and that is the our job to fix um, so basically the deal is like this. So they posted the final bill, 
Now, you're going to hear a lot of, well, they changed this and a lot of drug traffickers won't get it. All that does is actually show that we were right, show that they were lying all along, and demonstrate that if you're wrong on this, then isn't that a self-indictment on the other half? Let me give you an example. So they now say fentanyl traffickers won't get the early release and meth kingpins. But that means if you're convicted, it's a specific title of the federal code, you're convicted as a meth kingpin, you won't get the time credits for early release. Now, a couple things about that. First of all, just so you know, the beauty of this bill was that they made the fight all about the early release, and then they forgot that there's a whole other half of the bill that reduces sentencing on the front end for drug traffickers. So even the exclusion of fentanyl traffickers is only the back end. Every fentanyl trafficker, kingpin or otherwise, in bed working for Sinaloa or otherwise, which all of them indirectly are, but most of the ones that they catch are. I spoke with the DA director of Nebraska, which is the whole upper Midwest and Great Plains. He said the entirety of what they have there, everyone they go after, they go as high up the ladder as they can. They don't waste their time prosecuting low-level people. But again, in the technicality of the conviction, they get what they can get. They'll pursue you because you're a high-level person. But the actual conviction might be more medium level because it's very hard to prove certain things. It's it's easy to prove you're engaging in some drug trafficking, but exactly that you, A, you killed someone from it or you're a kingpin, that's a lot harder. You have those convictions sometimes. And by the way, those are the only convictions that you really get 27-year sentences for. Ironically, the ones that are eligible for all these releases are the ones they're not even giving tough sentences under current law. But these are the people. So just so you know, Before we get to the early release credits, every single drug trafficker, everyone, everyone, irrespective of the degree of trafficking, their level in the organization, and their prior criminal history, they all get a reduction in sentencing. That's for sure. Now, a lot of them, unless your prior history is substantial – they expand the safety valve to avoid the mandatory sentencing altogether. Now, what I want to explain to you guys is you well know that this is not the exception but the rule of the federal system that often it's people that served 8, 12 years in state prison for murder. But it wasn't life. It was 8, 12 years, sometimes because it was pled down to manslaughter, sometimes because they're a bunch of leftist wackos and they get let out. And the U.S. attorney, the AUS attorney in the district working with the police and other agencies recognize the threats, and they know this guy's a danger, and they want to take him off the street. And that's why they target him. So they'll hit him on drug trafficking charges, but sometimes it will be run-of-the-mill drug trafficking charges. Even that guy will be eligible. Everyone's eligible. Now, for the back end, so fentanyl is not now, but remember – (laughs) the meth, the heroin, and the cocaine, A, is more lethal than it's ever been because it's purer than it's ever been because the drug cartels have gotten the money to perfect it more than ever. Why? Because of the billions of dollars they get from the illegal alien trafficking 
That's what's fueling it, folks. Remember, it's a four-legged stool of how immigration, illegal immigration, the border and sanctuaries fuel the drug crisis. Number one, they pay them for all the smuggling. So they get the money to produce more product, grow more poppy fields. That's why, according to DA, they tripled the size of the poppy fields right from 2013 to 2016, the UAC crisis. They can hire better scientists, which they have. That's it's like a corporation, like anything else, to perfect it, which they did. That's number one. Number two, they use the then they use them tactically as a diversion to tie up the border agents to get in the drug runners. Number three, particularly the UACs, the 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 teenage Central Americans are often used as the drug mules to get in. And number four, in the interior, then they serve for their network and the gangs of the distribution and enforcement and um, remitting back the funding for the drugs. That is why we had the drug crisis right when we had it, the type of drugs we had, the purity we had, and it's evident from the mixture of these two articles that I want you guys to read cover to cover, read them again, think about them, send me any questions you have. So now that you understand that background, the other drugs are just as lethal, and here's the deal. They're all being laced with fentanyl. So it's not so often that you catch fentanyl trafficking. They catch it a lot at the border, but especially in the interior of the country, they don't catch it that much. It's the heroin or or now meth and cocaine is laced with the fentanyl. So if you're trafficking that, you, 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 you're not treated as a fentanyl trafficker. You will get reduced mandatories and early release. Now – Steve Daines, in order to be bought up, because bought off because we're, as we're going to talk about later in the Upper Midwest, Great Plains, he's in Montana. They have a meth crisis from the mainly Sinaloa cartel there. That's a you know Arizona, California uh, center trafficking. So he had a provision. Okay, if you're convicted as a meth kingpin, you're not eligible. Again, you're eligible for the front end, but not the back end. Now, the funny thing about that is, so you're admitting that these guys are problems. Okay, what about cocaine and heroin kingpins? They're not exempted. I mean, it's stupid. I mean, heroin is still more lethal, I think. I mean, it's getting close, but then the cocaine also the way it is now. And then again, most people aren't convicted as a kingpin, but they're still very dangerous. So that means if you are just a regular – meaning it's not like they carved out low level, okay, just possession or below a certain kilogram degree or – you know, no, no. Every heroin trafficker, every cocaine trafficker, and almost every meth trafficker is going to get front and back end reductions even if they have a rap sheet yay long including murder, which is often the case given that the federal drug convictions are often a backstop to those being released in the state system. That core of the bill is still true, and it always was and always, and it's going to be true. You could take that to the bank. All they did was the extra insanity that we uncovered in the last few days, they got rid of that stuff. But all this stuff we've been pointing out for months, the foundation of it is still true. So, for example, they massively expanded the safety valve to avoid the mandatories. You know, again, the whole point was first-time offenders. So why are you now extending it to non-first-time offenders? And by the way, you know, all these schmucks are like, um, 
um, don't people, I'm a Christian, don't people deserve a second chance? And the irony is we passed something called the Second Chance Act in 2007, and it ensured that thousands more people enjoy the safety valve. And indeed, I can't prove it, but it's very likely that's why we have a lot more career drug traffickers on the streets than we would have coinciding with the most deadly drug crisis, but no one cares about them. So there's that. But what the irony is, so it does that. When they originally drafted the bill, they put in a safety valve um, figure uh, provision that totally avoided it. Like I said, it allowed the judge to write a note, not to be approved. He just has to write it and inform DOJ Anyone, any single drug trafficker, he could be El Chapo. He could be chop heads off. But if he was convicted for drug trafficking on that charge, they could avoid the mandatories altogether. So that provision they took out. You see the beauty of what they did. They took a bill. Let me just give you a sense of what happened. Originally, this passed the House is only the back end stuff. It didn't have the front end sentencing reduction. And all these conservative members who supported like, eh, Daniel, don't worry. It's not going to be stopped. And it's not sentencing. I'm like, I said, they're going to tack it on. Well, then we'll oppose it. Well, buddies, where are you now? I don't hear them. And, and this is a lesson because they view the swamp as, you know, you, you think they're going to come in there and say, this is the true north. This is what we're going to do. You better do this. And this is our agenda. And we're not going to do your agenda. Instead, leadership, of course, says your agenda is dead on arrival. So it's just our agenda. And then they wear them down. Well, what? You're going to keep saying no? Huh? 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 So they view it as every time they vote against something, no matter how bad it is, they're expending political capital. So like, Daniel, I'm just not willing to vote against it even if they oppose it. So don't take the overwhelming vote that you're going to see as a, a proof that somehow, oh, you know, this is, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. No. It's just that all the fools are on the same side here. So no one has the guts. So even the remaining few people get worn down. And this is the beauty of what they do. They overdraft the bill. It's like, let's say I say, I'm going to raise taxes 50% on everyone. And then I start saying, you know what? Okay, I'll give an exception to you. I'll give an exception to you. And it looks like I'm being all magnanimous and I'm being very, um, you know, I'm compromising a lot. That's what the, that was the beauty of what they did. They, they, they took a pool of the federal prison population. Okay, the federal freaking prison population. You have all sorts of people because there's all sorts of random federal crimes. But for the most part, these are the worst human beings alive. That's why they're in federal prison. That's why they've graduated the federal system. Whatever percentage you say you don't belong, you certainly, everyone has to admit that the overwhelming majority are like that. So when you write a bill that essentially allows front end, not essentially, front end reductions for every single federal drug trafficker, which like I said, is not just about drugs. They're mainly doing all the other stuff too. And they're often charged initially with other stuff but not convicted because they plead down. And then... And then what happens after that is you have the back end for pretty much everyone. They have a couple of exceptions. Do you, do you understand how dangerous? That, that's nuts. You're taking the worst. So they'll say this guy doesn't get it and this guy doesn't get it. But still, it's not, it's not like, no, everyone stays except these people we want to experiment some leniency with. 
So even if you keep adding exceptions, remember, anyone who's not in the exceptions gets it. And to this day, even those that are rated as high risk are eligible, at least for home confinement, for a third of their sentence. No one has explained how local law enforcement is going to be able to monitor thousands in such a short period of time going into home confinement. So many ancillary problems with the bill, but it doesn't matter. There's nothing I could say because this is not driven based on facts. Nothing is. Just like the opioid crisis, every single person is wrong in Washington on that. This is why we have a debt the way we have. This is why we're on pace for a million border incursions this week. Because all the fools are on the same side. And then all it takes for evil to succeed is for good people to do nothing. And they get whittled down and they get scared and they convince themselves they have to work with them and that's it. Ted Cruz single-handedly screwed us on this. Despite the juggernaut, we almost had this defeated. You know what's interesting? Let me, let me tell you a very interesting point. There's an article about how Kushner, may his name be erased in God's book, Kushner deploys conservative media campaign for his agenda. In recent weeks, this is from Politico, in recent weeks, the president's son-in-law has promoted the measures in conversations with several Fox News personalities, including, including primetime trio of Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingram, pouring, pouring over interview transcripts from their shows and following up with personal phone calls to assuage their concerns. While Trump himself is well known for his frequent phone calls to hosts like Hannity, and his stock to his administration of Fox News veterans, Kushner has far more quietly become a key conduit. I can't even read this without getting angry. This is the problem. Trump cares about what conservatives think. We took a president who was more pro-law and order than anyone else, and this movement got him to agree to release the people that Sally freaking Gates wouldn't release under Obama. Remember, the U.S. Sentencing Commission released 46,000 over the last decade. Obama administration poured through every drug conviction in uh, of the 180,000 or so, and now it keeps going down, population of federal prison, by the way, the lowest level since the 90s, early 90s. That, that, that's, that's a demonstrable lie. I mean, that's just a straight-up statistic of a defined population. You can't, can't make that up. And he let out 2,000 of them. And let me tell you, it's not like, you know, he let out drug possession, so maybe there's one level that's low level beyond that we can go further. Almost none of them were drug possession. A lot of them actually had convictions of what's called um, using a firearm in furtherance of drug trafficking. Those are really violent dudes. They were let out. So the people in there now are the people he passed over. And then the people coming in prospectively, for sure, the culture, A, the culture of prosecutions, and B, the nature of the drug crisis, they're so busy, they don't have time to go after these people. Speak to any field agent for DOA, DA and U.S. Attorney's Office. These are the guys being directed directly from Sinaloa and Walisco and Golfo and Zetas. You know, again, you acquire more knowledge, you acquire anger, as, as, it's, as King Solomon said. 
I just study this too much because I care too much. Why do I care so much? You know, my, my friend Steve Dace, he seems to have gotten to a point where he's able to laugh it off. He says, like, you know, I just realized that, you know, once you understand we're screwed and um, everyone's out against conservatives and we don't have a conservative movement, you know, I could just laugh it off. Fear God, tell the truth, and, and make money. That's his motto. I, I just can't be happy with that. I'm sorry. I know a lot of you, and, and this is the best audience, the best audience in politics bar none. I know a lot of you um, are messaging message me on Twitter, emailing me. By the way, my email has changed. I think the old email will still work, and it will just go to the same place. But um, just so you know, it did change. I wasn't sure if it was going to, but it changed with the name. Um, I still have a conservative review email, but this is easier to remember. Um D Horowitz at blazemedia.com. One word, blazemedia.com. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate all your emails and everyone's asking me, what do we do? What do we do? Um, I promise you, I am working on that. It, it's tough, but I, I, you know, an idea of mine is to, like I said, maybe create a fan page. And, and I want to be very clear, not that, the typical talk show fan page that's, you know, all sycophants into someone's personality. You, you know, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm probably telling you guys too much here, but, you know, internally they're pressuring me to rename it the Daniel Horowitz show, which just makes sense for SEO and um, just searchability, Google um, branding and just everything, just marketing wise, just to reach more people than a random name. But I just, I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't like it. I like the conservative conscience because it really embodies what we need and what we try to do here as, as, a, as, a, as a movement. But I, I want to make this a community. I want to have some sort of community get together where we could all get together, not just with me, but where you could network and meet other people that are just as smart and informed and, and have true moral values, not the fake phony conservative, much less liberal political class values of what morality is. You know, you're seeing a lot of these stories about this seven-year-old who died of dehydration and they're blaming the Border Patrol for it. She died in Border Patrol custody when her fiend vermin parents traveled in a group of 150 people together and didn't feed her for three friggin' days. And it's our fault. No, your policies are encouraging this. Your policies created... Death and mayhem for them and for 72,000 Americans, the drugs, the gangs. And we don't have a movement speaking to this. But anyway, we need, we need um, a community where you can meet each other, pass around ideas, strategize, get together. Think, shoot me your ideas. I'm just one person. My brain is so consumed which is trying to get out the subject matter and the policies. Often I can't even think about marketing well. And um, this is not about marketing so I could make money or even grow the show. Although you want to, you know, obviously you need to grow the audience to grow the influence to change the country. And certainly we have that goal. But just, um, again, I'm just, you know, thinking about some sort of networking we could have to get together, maybe create groups of people that create email strike force, task force groups. Um, to call members of Congress on issues, to meet with members of Congress, to educate them, to do media, um, to write reports, to 
doing certain investigative ideas of you know how government policies are affecting certain things, the truth about law enforcement, the truth about healthcare, whatever the issue is. Let's start this citizens task force thing. There's nothing you know more special about me than you, except the fact that you guys have full time normal jobs. Um, there's no reason why everyone can't do this, and you know I'm I'm glad to help in any way, and and I think you know that's where we need to head here. But anyway, just to get back to this, they've they've all kind of given up on the bill. Cotton's going to have these three parsimonious amendments. Like I was hoping that he he would have one central amendment, raising the mandatories for heroin traffickers, and you know make a certain level of of heroin, meth, cocaine, fentanyl traffickers, raise it and raise the mandatories on those convicted of it while involved in transnational gangs and cartels, and that would totally put Trump and all these people on the line and expose and embarrass them. Instead, they're kind of amendments that they don't have a problem voting for. There's one is um, notifying the victim before you release someone, one some sort of report on the programs, and another one is adding yet more exceptions to the early release credits. It, I, I, look, Kennedy and Cotton, God bless them, they're good, but they're not Jeff Sessions. They're kind of green on Senate procedure. They're not holding the clock and holding the time. And honestly, I think, you know, in a very altruistic sense, my friends at DOJ who who helped draft these amendments, I think they what they're trying to do now is it's um burial rights. You know, it's um you're no longer focusing on saving the patient. They're trying to figure out what things they could stick into these amendments that they kind of drafted cleverly that they could gum up the works and try to ensure, you know, as few people as possible get out. And the good news, the only good news I have to report on this is that Barr coming in as attorney general, he's got to be confirmed. He really is terrific. Um, He's been described to me as Jeff Sessions before Jeff Sessions. So he's a terrific guy. He hates jailbreak. And he's going to do everything he can to, to fight back on this stuff. But but again, remember that these guys are not going to be in charge forever. In two years, you could have Democrats in charge. Imagine what these people will do with that bill. So anyway, this is where we are at this juncture. And just wait. Well, one minute before I go on, I, I got an email here. And this is how terrific this audience is. Um, Dan, you know who you are. You just sent me an email. And you contacted Rob Woodall's office, congressman from Georgia, Rhino from Georgia. Now, I mean, this guy, you want to talk about low IQ. I mean, this guy has no clue, hasn't studied anything. I mean, and and this is what I don't understand. My dad's a nuclear and mechanical engineer. A lot of people in my family are into finance, accounting. They know the subject matter of what they do. This is the only profession you could go in, and they are literally voting on a bill. None of them are reading it. So what, what the guy says, the First Step Act explicitly makes these prisoners ineligible. It reduces the cost of federal incarceration. I mean <laughs> – they're passing the bill because they complain there's too many people in prison. So they're letting them go. And then they say, it doesn't let them go. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and that's what it is. This is why we can't win. We have a party. See, there's one thing if you have an open debate. You want A, I want B, and we can be honest about it. 
but they campaign on our stuff. They say our talking points. They're not winning this debate. The people don't want it. They just have all the money to just lie. And evidently, understanding legislation is a nuance. It's like, you know, you'd be shocked, shocked to know that, look, every law enforcement officer I've spoken to thinks this is insane, but a lot of them aren't even aware that it's going on. Part of what's happening is this. You need swords to cross in order to make a fight. You need to have a point of contention. But because, as Senator Kennedy said, all the fools are always on the same side when it comes to the important issues. So what happens is this stuff passes so quickly and swiftly without a national dialogue or debate that people don't even know. So I speak to DEA agents, and this affects their entire life. They don't even know – they don't know the bill. It's, 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 it's a very small group of people, and this is why I figure if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. So yeah, I mean, don't be discouraged. Contact their offices. And if you're in Texas, contact Senator Cruz. Contact Senator Daines. Contact these guys and say, wait a minute. The whole point of this bill is early release, and all these drug traffickers are getting reduction in sentencing. Are you kidding me? Don't forget about their answer. They're gonna be they're never gonna say, yeah, you're right. The importance is they count the volume of people that call in. And we, we need to start doing this regularly. We're not going to win here, and it's it's very sad. Um, but that's the lesson here. We don't have a movement. We have a president. He's not going to lead. But for all his flaws, he's open to our point of view if we would assert it. You see, he cares what what have been, what have been what have I been telling you, Laura, Tucker, and Sean? I say you want to talk about three people that have the most influence. Go to them, and look, Kushner went to them. We don't have a single normal think tank. We don't have a single normal advocacy group. We don't have C three, C fours. They're all either bought on or have their head up. You know where. And then the more it becomes self-fulfilling, the more everyone is scared to do it. So now they get Trump to support, and now we're even worse off. Even the people we would have had fighting it are standing down. This is going to happen every time. And, And here's the single biggest question that needs to be answered. Again, what is the biggest dream of all of us? And I say that a little sarcastically, but um, what is the dream if you're a conservative? Well, you'd say that Donald Trump wins re-election. There's going to be certainly no better alternative in a primary. That's that's very clear at this point. And that Republicans win back control of the House. The question is, how will the endgame of that dream scenario, the best-case scenario, turn out better than the last two years? What is going to change? What are we going to do to make that change? We're on pace easily for a trillion-dollar deficit and a million-person invasion of our border at this pace. That's another thing. I, I said this before. Thomas Massey did a good job of putting out a um, chart kind of depicting the point I've been making because I was talking to him about this, and I'm glad he got on this, that um, the irony of this so-called government shutdown fight – You know, again, we're going to start next week. No, no bill – 
to to do anything. And just so you know, the last time I checked, the Republicans still have control of the House. What's stopping them from passing our budget bill with the immigration riders and sending it to the Senate and leaving for Christmas and Trump pounding away? Mitch McConnell, you have to enforce the two-speech rule. Make them do a talking filibuster. Let's have a national dialogue over the border. Nothing. Well, I'll tell you what's stopping it. Kevin McCarthy doesn't believe in it, yet he was just elected minority leader. But anyway, they caved on the spending figures. So as he notes, the military, VA, Department of Energy, Department of Education, Army Corps, Department of Labor, HHS, Congress are already funded. It's the State Department, USDA, DHS, and DOJ that wouldn't be funded. It's 8% of the federal budget. So this is the easiest budget fight you have with the least collateral damage. Because again, the point is not even to fight over the budget. The point is because the media makes a big deal over the specter of a government shutdown, you finally harness that attention. Remember, we said you have to pick a fight and seize the national focus and attention that people know what's happening. And that's what I have so much sorrow out of this fight. I'd be at peace if they convinced everyone that we want to go weak on crime. But no, the people don't want it. No one even knows this is happening. The few that do, they tell them they have all these ads running of how this is being tough on crime. They'll be like, yeah, I want to be tough on crime. They just lie. They totally lie. Every one of them. This party is irremediably broken. Mark my words. You will never actualize forward advanced gains in terms of conservatism on a single major issue unless we have a new party. There's no way, there's no better way to say that point other than, you know, making everyone upset that I'm depressing you, but that's how it is. (sighs) Man, what a, what a life. What a life this is. The fools are always on the same side. And that's really what I want to get to. Where is this libertarian juggernaut? You know, there's one thing. What what bothers me is that we're never going to actualize even the benefits of libertarianism. Okay, so we all love drugs. Fine. Where are the libertarian activists? Where is Mike Lee? Where is Rand Paul standing for the pain patients that have their pain medication taken care of while you're letting out the drug traffickers? Okay, so we're going to let out the drug traffickers. Now, could we stop treating pain patients like criminals? Heroin is good now. Fine. So could we stop attacking oxycodone, hydroxone, Percocet? You know, but no, because we only get the lowest common denominator of where they meet the progressives. Where is this Coke funded juggernaut fighting the farm bill, fighting the debt, fighting for healthcare freedom, fighting for laissez faire, live and let live with um, healthcare and pain patients? Nope. The progressives always win. All the time, because all the fools are on the same side. That's what's so frustrating about this. We can't even benefit from this. Can't even benefit from from at least, okay, you know, we turn libertarian. We get the worst of everyone's thing. And that's what it is. Everyone says they're a hero, but you know what? 
the only, you know, and, and look, Rand Paul and Mike Lee agree, would probably agree on a lot of these issues, but are they going to fight as hard as they do to get jailbreak? No, because there's adversity you meet. See, Mike Lee likes to be, ooh, I'm, I'm good for the blacks. I'm good for the minorities. You know, that type of gutter mentality that we start breaking people up into groups. Um, so, you know, you get to ingratiate yourself with identity politics. But, hey, if you're going to cut spending, oh, boy, are you going to run up against uh, that inveterate uh, juggernaut there? And, uh, no, they, they don't want to do that. Same thing with guns. Okay, so we're all libertarian. Live and let live. We're going to let out the bad guys. Okay, so could we at least all carry guns in Maryland? No. Now, again, I know you're going to say, well, they, they agree with me on that. But where's their effectiveness? Why is it that the only thing this movement accomplishes with two years of trifecta government and a president who is totally open to 90% of what we want to do has often even articulated this stuff, and all you do is get him to unravel the Reagan agenda that led to a 70% decline in the murder rate at a time of the worst drug trafficking crisis, the worst transnational cartel crisis, and some of the worst violence in major metro areas that's engendered by these gangs and cartels. Where is the justice? I'm telling you guys, I'm committed more than ever to speaking out for the forgotten man, the forgotten law enforcement, for the forgotten laws. I just don't care. But I need help, and, and we're going we're gonna to develop a strategy together. Anyway, we're running out of time here, and I just got to calm myself down, but... You know, just to get to some of the facts of what is going on, I'm going to have an interesting article out um, piggybacking off the bigger opioid drug piece I'm doing about the lie of the drug crisis. Again, how it's all driven by our immigration policies, foreign policy, transnational cartels. And by the way, you know, when, when you really study this issue the way I did, you could appreciate how this really is very much a federal issue because it's 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 transnational in nation in nature. You know, like all of a sudden, the libertarians of all things, and this is again, all the fools are on the same side. You're never going to effectively fight on any of the other things that belong in the states or shouldn't be done at all that the federal government's doing. But of all things, all oh, the drugs, why is the federal government involved in it? Look, if we go back to 1789, then fine. But you know, of all things, there's a very strong case to be made. Um, that this is all being run by enemy networks that are right at our border, and it's it's a federal issue. Whereas, you know, look, I agree that even things that are severe, terrible crimes, like you know, sex, certain sex crimes, they, they could be devolved to the states. Um, you know, it's it's not networking by nature. You know, you have one creepy, you know, child porn guy. It's not necessarily a network. You have certain child porn distribution networks, but. Um, Anyway, that's that's just the thought there. So, you know, one of the things as I was doing research, I noted, and I saw this before. You go to CDC's website, and they show you the latest trends from the last twelve months of the the sharpest increases in drug fatalities. And you look, and you see bright red, meaning like a heat map, the most red which indicates the sharpest increase right in the heartland in the state of Nebraska. 
was like, whoa, like holy smokes. And it turns out within a period of 12 months, the number of drug deaths there went up by 45.6%. And it's all meth. It's all meth, which is not even an opioid. And, and, and the funny thing is, so Nebraska had by far the lowest overdose rate of any state. It was number 50 as late as 2016. But recently, it's all skyrocketed. Um, in terms of prescriptions, they're roughly average, a little bit below average of the national rate. But as you know, the, the rate of prescribing has gone down. It went down before the epidemic. There's nothing to do with it. Inverse relationship. It's kind of just like, you know, we talk about, oh, the Central American migration and violence. And actually, there's an inverse relationship. If you look at the data, same thing here. Now, it's not necessarily inverse. It's just if you do a scatter grant, a scatter diagram, and I don't know how to do a good job of that. A friend of mine did it. Um, you plot it on, I should post it. You do a, plot it on a graph, and there's no correlation. You have some states, a couple of them that are high prescribing, high overdose. Um, you have the number one prescribing state is not West Virginia, it's Alabama, and it's like number 43, 44 in terms of deaths. Um, but Nebraska was a little bit below average, not totally at the bottom. You know, so. Again, it's not the lowest prescribing that has the lowest overdose. It was, let's say, number 20, but it was the, the number 50 in terms of overdose. So nothing to do with medical. It's not a healthcare issue. It's not even opioids. It's meth. It's a cultural thing. You put it there, and they'll get hooked on it. And I spoke to the, um, you know, again, God bless them. A lot of the field directors for law enforcement, they're much better than in Washington. They'll actually get back to you. They still won't work with me properly in the you know federal offices of DA, CBP, whatever. But anyway, he made it clear. He said, this is all coming from the Sinaloa cartel and Tijuana area. They know the networks. The people they catch are receiving orders directly from them. There is your drug crisis. There is your drug crisis. And that is why it all happened around Obama's second term with the suspension of all the immigration laws, the magnets that he created, DACA, catch and release, all the programs for Central Americans like CAM, it's a whole other thing, the rise of sanctuary cities on a, on a state, local level. One thing I'm trying to research for this piece is I want to speak to the ice field director there and ask him if he's seeing which networks on the ground there, because the DA guy didn't know, are responsible. Because I, I, I suspect a lot of the meatpacking agro-processors they have there, um, a lot of the people they hire are people that come in and smuggle in the drugs. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, this is why you can't look at America like a, like a corporation. You know, all these people, oh, I want cheap labor. But, you know, there's more to that. I'm all for the free flow of goods and services, but, you know, human beings are different entities and they got to fit with the culture. Our founders, yeah, I have a whole chapter in my book on their view on that. You need to have a civil society. You can't bring in people that don't fit in and certainly those that engage in dangerous criminality. So this is with the, the the latest drug crisis, and um, again, the, the meth numbers that are pouring over are insane. Now, look, not that I've ever taken drugs before, but I've learned more about it than ever before. Maybe I need to start doing it. 
seems like everyone else is on it. Um, basically, meth is a psychostimulant. It, it's the exact opposite of cocaine as well is the exact opposite of opioids. So, I mean, even if you want to tell me that, oh, you know, people initially they get into because of pain medication, then they get into heroin, which I, I proved conclusively it's not true. Um, you could find one or two examples here and there, but that's generally not the trend. They're generally different people. There's pain patients and there's druggies. And, you know, you could obviously you could have druggies who are have a lot of physical health problems, too, as well as emotional, behavioral, mental problems. But they're generally different populations. And I prove that. But certainly nobody could tell me you're suddenly onto meth. Again, it's a cultural thing and with the availability of supply. We're never going to stop all of this. But if you just merely assert our sovereignty and kick out all the criminal alien networks, the drugs, they w- A, they wouldn't be making as much money and they couldn't produce as much pure caliber that's as available. And therefore, supply and demand, the prices will go back to where they were before, which was bad. But, you know, it's a lot better if 20,000 people are killed a year than 72,000 and going up and up. It's not, a, it's not a tough goal to strive for because it's frankly what we always had before these gratuitous immigration policies around five years ago. So the, the, there's a lot of – there's so many things I'm even forgetting. I can't even think straight. I'm so mad. But, you know, look, in some ways, at least, you know, you guys will be able to go back home and uh, especially those of you who work in this field and are activists, at least you'll have a good Christmas. (laughs) I mean, Christmas, New Year's, have a good holiday week there because, you know, this is not even going to go into that because they're caving so fast and they're – think about this. They're spending their final weeks clearing the decks – passing liberal policies as quickly as they can so Democrats could take over and pass liberal policies. And this is where we are. I'm not sure what else to say, but uh, you know, we got to find good news in that. But anyway, we're, we're going to start thinking of ideas, You know, working with people like incoming Congressman Chip Roy and and by the way, I'm just telling you, he is more jazzed up than ever. I mean, he has not changed one bit. If anything, he's gotten more hardcore. Um, so, you know, I, I have never, you know, I, I know everyone winds up betraying us, but I've never worked with someone who on such a deep level gets it. Um, and, and, and that's the thing, like Chip's ability to break down an issue is amazing. I the the I, I was able to have these degree the, this level of conversation with him within 72 hours of his election. And and you saw he won by just two and a half points. It wasn't like, you know, it was a given that he just uh sit back and relax. He was outspent three to one. And that's a big part of the problem. There's two issues. Like I say, it's a crisis of values and a crisis of intellect. They don't understand the issues. They don't know the bills. They don't know what's happening. They don't read them. They're dumb as mud. Their staff is dumb as mud. But then also, it's a values problem. A lot of them, the ones that do know, they like they look to hang their hat on something. They look for an out. Oh, give me one amendment and I'll I'll vote for it. Here it is. Because they don't want to stand up. Because when all the fools 
are on the same side, they feel, what am I going to do? I don't want to go up against all that. We have to find a way to electrify the forgotten man. And and what's so sad is a lot of it is doped up because of Trump because they think they're getting it. Because he See, if he weren't president, a lot of people I think would be more up in arms. But the problem is it's self-fulfilling. Trump's presidency, even if you're as bullish on Trump as you could ever be, and we have a range in this audience, but doesn't matter. He wasn't a touchdown. He was the recovering of possession of the ball. But now you got to make the plays. You know, we want him to throw the ball to us and make the plays, and other guys are yelling, throw to me. They're the swamp, including a lot of people who say they're not the swamp, but also his own son-in-law. And then they take the ball and run it in the other team's end zone. You got to see this article with Kushner. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, maybe, you know, he's he's uh, vying to be chief of staff now. It doesn't matter. I doubt he'll be a formal chief of staff, but he's the informal, de facto chief of staff. And he's going to be the one who signs off on whoever gets the job. And even if we do get a good guy, it just won't matter. Why is Kushner not doing this sort of outreach on Trump's immigration demands and the budget? Why is it only this issue? It reminds me of Yemen a little bit too. Cause so, you know, they passed the resolution. Now it's it's not it's not binding. It's not like they're yanking funding. That would be an appropriation bill, but they're just a resolution saying we need to end our operation in Yemen. And you know, it it, it was really a mixed blessing because on the one hand, I advocated for this before, but in a very different angle. That it, we would take a holistic view. And and what really needs to happen is the fiscal year 2019 NDAA, the Defense Authorization Bill. That's where we need a movement to fully examine a, an operational audit of everything we're doing, what are our threats, what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing. This is very simple, and it shouldn't even be partisan. So you might think, all right, Daniel, I know you're not happy with the fact that they're virtue signaling over Khashoggi and they're undermining the one, the one guy that we actually – tried to groom for years to finally be on our side and then we sit and slap him in the face. But, um, you know, at least we're finally asserting control. No, you think, so Mike Lee and Ted and Rand Paul put out these statements, but do you think we're headed to this libertarian nirvana where we're suddenly going to be out of Afghanistan? No, they're not pushing it. They join with the left where they think they, they, you know, somehow convince themselves that that's libertarian or conservative. They're not fighting it as strongly. I was like, you know, I responded to Rand Paul's tweet yesterday. I said, okay, now do Afghanistan. Now, you're going to say, well, he agrees. I know he agrees. But they're not going to go to the Met the way they did here because here they have the swamp with them. That's what's so frustrating. We need to find a way to have reverse momentum because it's it's self-fulfilling. When you don't have any good people, then even the few good people, they get worn down and then it becomes self Then everyone supports it. So then I don't want to be the only one guy not supporting it. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's a vicious death spiral of failure. We don't have a single movement in place on a single issue. You know, even where Trump's trying to fight, where is the 24-7 coverage from conservatives 
exposing what's going on in the border with the degree of specificity we're doing here, but the people that have the bigger platforms. I mean, that's the problem. Even if Trump does fight, it's like there's no one behind him. But anyway, next week, that's the thing. The House is out until Wednesday. They're not doing anything. The Senate's doing jailbreak. It all boils down to Trump come Thursday. Will he veto or will he not? We'll find out next week. Send me your ideas as always. dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. You know, if you believe you're someone who could write, then write. If you're someone who's tech savvy and has good ideas, have had a harness social media and platforms for organizing and grassroots uh, organizing, let me know. And if you're someone who you really believe could run, then by golly, go and run. God bless. Thanks for listening. Have a terrific weekend.